0: Welcome to Process This, a podcast for the sterile processing community. Isham invites you to log on, listen, and learn twice a month. Now it's time to process this with your host, clinical educator John
1: Wood. Welcome, Isham Nation, to the Process This podcast. This is episode 25. Now this is a special edition of the podcast because not only are we celebrating sterile processing week, but today marks the one year anniversary of the podcast. So one year ago, Isham launched the Process This Podcast and 24 episodes later here we are still bringing you education material twice a month. Thank you Isham Nation podcasters for making this show a success. I hope you will join me for another year of on-demand education. We have a great show for you today. Today's lineup includes a segment What's On My Mind, followed by Mailbox Mania, and then our guest speaker, Peggy Spitzer, talking about chemicals and decontamination. So let's not waste any more time, and let's get into What's On My Mind. In today's segment of What's On My Mind, it's all about you, the Sterile Processing Professional. Happy SPD Week! Despite the many challenges this year has delivered, all of us at Isham hope you won't let Sterile Processing Week pass by without taking time to honor yourself, your teammates, and your profession. In fact, if ever there was a year where sterile processing professionals deserve to be honored for their contributions and commitment to service excellence, this is the one. This past year, many sterile processing professionals have seen their roles shift and expand. Now, whether those shifts involve filling other essential duties that are beyond the walls of sterile processing during reduced or halted schedules of elective surgical procedures, or assuming new responsibilities associated with reprocessing N95 respirators under that FDA emergency use authorization, or even if your department has managed largely to maintain its typical essential duties, it's important to share your experiences and essential contributions and celebrate your team's dedication to rise up and do whatever was needed to serve your facility, your teammates, and your patients. So from all of us at Isham, thank you for your enduring commitment to quality, patient safety, and exceptional service. You truly are instrumental to patient care, and you are essential for saving lives. So congratulations and our sincere gratitude to all of you during this sterile processing week and all the other days of the year. So again, thank you for all that you do, and that's going to do it for this short and sweet segment of What's On My Mind. This week in Mailbox Mania, we're looking at the September 2020, volume 44, number 9 issue of healthcare purchasing news. Now, the article is titled. SPD Makeovers From Layout to Payout to Payoff So this article reads, As surgical procedures, instruments, and devices continue to advance, sterile processing departments, processes, and equipment must also evolve as well. Yesterday's decontamination, cleaning, and sterilization practices simply can't accommodate the complexity and the volume of today's surgical and medical services. Whether building a new sterile processing department or renovating an existing space, hospitals have access to a broad range of innovations to maximize output, optimize performance, streamline workflow, and ensure high quality reprocessing services. So this article touches on several topics. uh, The first being uh, investing in the IFUs. And so it kind of talks about an identifying IFU Uh, database systems that can really save time and streamline your workflow. Along with the IFUs, it also talks about using smart reprocessing and process automation, which uses innovation to improve efficiency and safety while reducing waste. Now, the benefits of automation and standardization have been leveraged throughout healthcare, including the sterile processing department. So, the ability to automate manual processes saves time, enhances quality, and in many cases can lower your cost. The article also talks about enhanced visualization. As the instruments and device complexity has grown, so has the challenge of cleaning them. For example, cannulated instruments can harbor debris that are invisible to the naked eye. This is why the sterile processing departments are increasingly implementing enhanced vision methodologies to improve reprocessing, efficiency, effectiveness, and safety. And then next, the article goes on to talk about space, time-saving, sterilization, and streamlining storage. This article is jam-packed with information and content from different industry experts. I recommend you check out this article from HPN and this is located in the CS Connections section. So for more information about this article and then the other good articles in the HPN, uh, check out hpnonline.com. So with that, that's gonna do it for this week in this segment of Mailbox Mania. Our guest speaker today works for the fine folks at Sertal International. Sertal is a leading manufacturer of disinfectants, detergents, and other products used by numerous healthcare facilities at point of use and in sterile processing. Sertal's mission is to manufacture the highest quality products and promote industry best practices through education. So visit Certol at C E R T O L C-E-R-T-O-L.com. Peggy Spitzer is a Colorado native with over 30 years of combined experience as a healthcare provider and educator. She is a licensed dental hygienist, with a bachelor's and master's degree in adult education. She was a full-time college faculty for over 20 years and managed several large clinics. Currently, she is a clinical education manager at Sirtall International, a manufacturer of detergents and disinfectants for healthcare. care. She develops and presents in-services and education programs to hospitals and dental professional groups, focusing on infection prevention, instrument processing, and best practices for chemicals. Peggy is an infection control consultant for the Colorado State Dental Board and a subject matter expert in infection control for a national testing agency. Peggy is the past president, past secretary, and current treasurer of the Rocky Mountain Central Service Isham Chapter, promoting education and certification for sterile processing professionals. Well, thank you, Peggy, for joining us today. Let's go ahead and get started with the questions. What is the difference between an enzymatic solution and a detergent solution?
0: Uh, John, that's a great question uh, that comes up a lot. So enzymatic solutions used to be a separate type of chemical. Uh, This was years ago when enzyme solutions were relatively new to the uh, medical processing world. Uh, now, uh, the vast majority of enzymatic solutions have both surfactants and enzymes, which basically makes them detergents. So, there really isn't a true difference anymore between enzymatic solutions and detergents. They're both detergents. Uh, the difference would then be that uh, enzymatic detergents, of course, have enzymes, and uh, detergents that are uh, marketed without enzymes. Uh, simply do their surfactant cleaning uh, without enzyme content.
1: So can detergents kill germs?
0: This is a surprisingly complicated question.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so
0: it is both um, yes and no. Uh, and of course, in, in the sta- uh, sterile processing world, we know that cleaning has to come before killing. Uh, but it sure would be nice to combine both steps with one product. So we try to sometimes find products that will do cleaning and also uh, inactivate germs. Uh, however, it does take both detergent and technicians together to physically remove bio-burden. The great thing about cleaning is that it actually also does remove germs during cleaning. However, it does not kill germs during cleaning. So I'll say that again. Detergents and technicians together clean uh, items and remove bio burden and in fact actually remove a lot of germs during cleaning. But that's not killing, that's removal, that's cleaning. This type of removal by cleaning is not a disinfectant claim. Here's another extremely important point for sterile processing to understand. Any product that is intended for use in healthcare that makes a claim to kill germs must have testing to prove that germicidal action. That's usually indicated by an EPA registration number on the label, along with a list of the germs that that product uh, will inactivate, and it's uh, oftentimes labeled as whether it's low or intermediate level. A separate category would be products that are high-level disinfectants, and they're regulated by the FDA uh, without any type of registration number. This is where it gets very complicated for sterile processing to try to figure out the product they have in front of them. Uh, There are indeed products that are called germicidal detergents. They do, in fact, kill germs while they're cleaning. The way they typically do this is most of these products are water-based. They come as a concentrate. You mix them with water. And then between the water and the detergent in the product, that produces the cleaning. And then there are additional chemicals in the product that have antimicrobial action. And again, the product must have an EPA number on the label and a contact time that it requires to kill the germs and steps the department would take to do both the cleaning and the killing.
1: The timing and correct selection of chemicals in the dirty decontamination side becomes a little more confusing if killing germs is a consideration when items can't go through the washer or that thermal disinfection process. Do facilities need to use an enzymatic solution, a detergent solution, or a disinfectant when manually cleaning instruments? An example, hand wash only instruments?
0: So what I'd like to do to answer this is to separate this actually uh, into two separate parts. The first part is, what about the timing and correct selection of chemicals When you have items coming into the dirty decontam side, and then you need to manually or hand wash them, and they cannot go through a washer thermal disinfection cycle. Let's discuss that first. uh, Devices and items that must be hand washed cannot go through the washer disinfector, cannot be thermally disinfected. And we're typically thinking about items like cords, some types of batteries, uh, other types of devices like this. They definitely come in contaminated. Sometimes they even have blood on them. Uh, they definitely need to be cleaned first before they're disinfected. Can you even use one product to do both? Uh, this kind of goes back to our earlier question about can detergents kill germs? And this is all, again, very complicated. To me, the first priority in sterile processing is to clean. And that's the number one thing. And my recommendation, number one, above all things, is the department must have the instructions for use for that device. Mm -hmm. And especially for the more complicated and more expensive devices. But really, of course, for for all items. And it's typically the expensive, complicated devices that cannot go through the washer. (laughs) So (laughs) get get those uh, instructions for use. Sit down, uh, preferably uh, with the partners, a team of folks, and look through those instructions for use. This also alludes to a question we have later on in this interview about um, the cleaning instructions themselves, because the cleaning instructions for these devices are written by engineers. They're typically not written by sterile processing technicians. So engineers will say things like, clean the device with alcohol, or use 70% isopropyl alcohol to clean the device. And uh, this, of course, we know is nonsense. <laughs> you cannot clean with uh, that high percentage of alcohol. Uh, so you have this annoying but very important step to look at the device instructions, figure out if the device instructions are even accurate. Uh, you may have to contact the company, get information on their letterhead. As we all know, you have to get corrections in writing on letterhead. And then uh, go from there and figure out your cleaning steps. Typically, if there's blood soil on a device, I like to see an enzymatic detergent used for the hand wash. And this is especially important if the item can be immersed, that is, put down into water. So the enzymatic does a lot of the uh, help for you. But most importantly, because you can immerse it, you can also rinse it because there's both washing, cleaning, and rinsing. If the item can be immersed, take care of that cleaning step first, preferably with an enzymatic detergent, before you get anywhere near a disinfectant step. If the item cannot be immersed, then it gets a little more complicated. You need to look at the device instructions and figure out if a wiping type of cleaning is necessary. In that case, then it, you may not want to use detergents because it may be difficult to rinse the item off. That's where the instructions uh, and talking to the device manufacturer will be helpful. And a a perfect example of this is certain types of power drills. Very important. They get highly contaminated, but you cannot uh, typically fully immerse them. So you, you really do have to follow their instructions for use. So here now you have an item that cannot go through the washer through the thermal disinfection. Why is this important for sterile processing? If your department on the assembly side likes to have assembly with no gloves, then this is an issue. If your facility is using gloves on the assembly side, it is actually not an issue. Um, It's really for the protection of the sterile processing techs on the assembly side that we even worry about this issue. Because keep in mind, if you do any disinfection to pass it through the window, that's not terminal disinfection. That's just a step to make the device safe to handle by a technician who's not wearing gloves. I don't want to get too far into the whole uh, controversy about whether or not we should have to wear gloves on the assembly side, uh, but that could be a, a future discussion that uh, might be of interest uh, to your audience. Sure. But in any event, uh, that really is what creates this whole situation. If the department has folks not wearing gloves on the assembly side and items are hand-washed, then there has to be some sort of surface disinfection uh, so the technicians can handle the items safely before they are terminally heat-sterilized or chemically disinfected. So, um, ugh, maddening uh, that this is all <laughs> so complicated.
1: It is, because you typically don't see disinfection instructions after cleaning instructions from the manufacturer. So, is, is that a point in when you need to contact that manufacturer for further steps?
0: Oh, absolutely. Because keeping in mind from the manufacturer's standpoint, so here's a company that's made a complicated device. They have to give cleaning instructions that are tested and approved by the FDA before they can even market the device. Why would they add a step that's not really necessary or even test any of those disinfecting chemicals if it's not essential to the reprocessing of their device? So... They are oftentimes going to be very wary of telling you about any disinfectant chemicals because they haven't tested them. They don't have to to get that FDA clearance. All they have to give is the terminal sterilization steps. A typical thing that I I find out about or hear about or or, uh, get questions is if you apply a disinfectant uh, to pass things through the window, whether it's a liquid, a wipe, or whatever, be aware that you are now applying chemicals to the surface of that item, do those chemicals need to be removed, rinsed, wiped off before heat or other chemicals are applied? That's a whole nother issue. And again, just as you said, the manufacturer may have nothing to say about it because it's not part of their original FDA cleared process
1: definitely something to think about as we choose different disinfectants or whether to use or not to use and i think you're right i think that may be a whole another podcast talking about that topic there are several different enzymatic solutions on the market some are a dual enzyme some triple enzyme can you explain the differences in those different solutions and really explain how they are used
0: another good question john um enzymes are really a great tool that's uh, made available for sterile processing. Uh, So it's important for the audience to understand that enzymes are organic. Um, They're derived from nature. Uh, We have enzymes uh, right inside our own bodies uh, that help us push chemical actions. Uh, For example, enzymes help us digest food uh, at body temperature. So how enzymes work is they work like little chemical scissors and they're just cutting and breaking up these long chains of organic soil. So they're chopping up uh, protein, they're chopping up blood, they're chopping up fats, uh, of course, at a microscopic level. Also, enzymes are very specific. They work like a lock and key. So a protease enzyme is only going to tackle protein. A amylase enzyme is only going to tackle starch. A lipase enzyme is only going to uh, attack fats. So uh enzymes are very specific. So your original question there are all these different enzyme products on the market, uh single, dual, triple, etc. What the sterile processing world can understand is that virtually all enzymatic detergents will have protease in them because that's uh a universal soil. Almost all soils are made up of protein, so you want protease in there. Uh that is also a less expensive enzyme in many cases. And that could be the bulk of of any product, whether it's single, dual, multi, that can be a strategy that a company uses is to just have mostly protease in there. But sometimes a dual enzymatic will have different types of protease that kick in at different temperatures, or a dual enzymatic could be a protease and amylase uh, combination, which is especially helpful for uh, endoscope, uh, gastroscope cleaning. But another enzyme content that would be really helpful is if the product has lipase, which is the one that attacks fats. Unfortunately, detergents are not very well regulated in the U.S. They're considered a type or class one type of product by the FDA, uh, basically unregulated. So, unfortunately, labels and marketing information can be of uh, limited value to the end user. So I always recommend uh, to all facilities get the best product you can, and then test it. Always test your cleaning process along with testing your devices. Use there are enzyme strips that are available to check for basic activity. Just be aware that there is no official regulation, and there can be a lot of claims floating around out there that you know are, are difficult to evaluate.
1: This next question we kind of touched on earlier. We are always told to follow the manufacturer's instructions for use, the IFUs. Now, there are some devices, um, and those device instructions tell us to use alcohol to clean the device. Now, is this appropriate to use alcohol to clean with?
0: So, John, I'd like to kind of go back to the original question is how to select uh, chemicals and follow those manufacturer's instructions. So, uh, I would repeat what I said before is, number one, facilities need to... And this is maddening. I realize it's easy for me to say this; a lot harder for all of you out there to actually do this. But to collect the device instructions for use, really look at the cleaning instructions, figure out if they make sense, get a committee a group together to help you out, especially from infection control, um, and decide if the instructions are confusing or inappropriate. You'll have to contact the manufacturer, get that part straightened out first. Then there are other parts of the cleaning instructions that will typically give you general advice, like use a neutral pH detergent or avoid a product that has ammoniums in it. Well, then you have to become a little chemist. and You have to figure out what are the chemicals that are in your various products. You can call the manufacturers of the chemicals. And another, perhaps faster way to figure out some of the chemicals is to always have on hand the safety data sheets, updated safety data sheets for every chemical. And then go through the torture of reading the safety data sheets and looking for the chemicals that are listed. And the chemicals are listed for not every ingredient, for most of the major ingredients in the safety data sheets. So you're kind of combining the device instructions with the safety data sheets and the product labels to try to figure out, is your product suitable, compatible with the device instructions? And that also helps then to avoid uh, damage and certainly helps you to use the IFU. Now, we talked earlier about the alcohol. Sometimes the device instructions will have, uh, I think they're getting better, but I think sometimes they'll still have some pretty wacky recommendations. (laughs) Uh, These are engineers. And no, I do not think that alcohol is an appropriate chemical for cleaning. Uh, It could be appropriate for something else, but it's not appropriate for cleaning because alcohol, uh, by its nature, it actually takes proteins and sort of cooks them or denatures them. It's kind of like uh, cooking an egg. So the egg white changes from clear to white. That's denaturation of the protein changes its physical form. But if you're doing that to an instrument with blood, the blood actually denatures and then it sticks harder to the instruments. It makes it harder to clean. So, with good intentions, if you're doing any kind of alcohol product on a item or device before the full cleaning, then you've actually made it harder to clean it.
1: Well, folks, we've run out of time for this episode, but great news. There's more to come. So we're gonna finish this interview with Peggy in the next episode. So Isham Nation part two of this interview will be released November 1st. Set your calendars because we have just scratched the surface with chemicals and decontamination. Again, Peggy, thank you for speaking with us today. I look forward to the next episode and our next meeting. Isham Nation again for myself, From all the Isham staff and the board members, we wish you a happy Sterile Processing Week. Well, another episode is in the books, episode 25. Thanks for listening to the show. To receive the CE for this episode, simply click on the link in the episode notes, fill out the required information, and select the code ENZYMES. Again, the code for this episode is ENZYMES. Remember, keep an ear out for the next episode, always on the 1st and 15th of every month. Each episode's on demand, so when you're ready for us, we'll be there for you. As always, stay classy, Isham Nation, and we'll see you next time.